Good morning. Now, some of you have asked, will we have service on Wednesday, uh, given that Thanksgiving is the next day? Uh, yes, we always have, and we always will. And some of you have been asked, oh, it's Sunday, uh, the Christmas Sunday, are we going to have a service? Do I have to answer that? Of course, of course. So we're glad you're with us today, and if you're visiting, you picked a good Sunday to be with us. We're always grateful, especially for baby dedications, because we get the opportunity to minister to the families of those that have the children being dedicated and the parents, and so we're we're grateful for that, and we're glad you're here today. And it's a little hard because you're jumping in in the middle of a study in the book of Revelation, which scares some people. So I'm just going to give you a little primer, a little preface to what we've been studying and what we'll study today. And in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, we were seeing a vision that John received of heaven. And so in chapter 4, there's this glorious vision of heaven, and it's so encouraging. And then we see in chapter 5, another glorious vision in heaven, where Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes a scroll from the right hand of God the Father that's sealed with seven seals. We talked last week about how that is what was used in a real estate transaction. It's actually a deed, a title deed of purchase, and it represents the redemption of the earth. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God certainly owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns this place. We're just squatters. We're just tenants. We're here now. Adam was given, in the Garden of Eden, he was given that that right to rule over the earth at that time. But he forfeited that through sin. And so in the last chapter, in chapter 5, the gospel message of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins, that he might redeem the earth, the universe, and all of creation for himself, Through his death on the cross, the blood that he shed, and his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven, and his promise to return. And in the book of Revelation, we're focused on that promise that Jesus made to return, to redeem the earth. So in chapter 6, Jesus, the Lamb of God, begins to open the scroll the way anyone might open the documentation Today we do it on a computer. In the past, maybe we opened a folder of paper, a file. But as this document is unfurled, as it's unrolled, imagine a scroll with seven consecutive seals. As each seal is broken, a corresponding event takes place on earth. It's a heavenly vision. They're symbolic visions. These are symbolic things that represent things that will happen on the earth in the future that have not happened yet. During a time period that we've talked about called Daniel's 70th week or the seven years of tribulation. That seven-year time period is the focus of our study today and specifically the first three and a half years. So I wanted to do that, take a moment, just sort of catch you up if you haven't been with us or if you've missed a few messages or if you're visiting so that you can follow along today. With that, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word instructs us and teaches us. And you speak to our hearts through your word and show us your heart for us. And even when difficult things come on the earth, even when there are tribulations and trials, even cataclysms and wars and famines, while the world is saying, where is God? We know, even from today's study, 
that you're in the midst of those difficulties, that you actually use those things to draw people to yourself. If life was perfect, none of us would look to you at all. And so some of us this morning are going through difficult times personally. Some of us have issues in our families that we're contending with. Others of us may be dealing with sickness or the sickness of a loved one. But all of us are dealing with the darkness of this world, the difficulty, the the prices of of food and gas and heating oil and all of the things that we're struggling with right now to try to figure out, how am I going to pay my bills? We understand difficulty. But Lord, we know that through those difficulties, you draw us to yourself. And we can use these opportunities to trust you, to grow closer to you in the midst of difficulties and trials. But Lord, we know that things will become more difficult, so help us to trust you here and now that as things become more challenging, whether in our personal lives or in the world in which we live, we would draw closer to you, that you might draw closer to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard the phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. A number of years ago, my wife and I were on vacation. We were down in Virginia Beach many years ago. And uh, we, we visited a college, and uh, this college, I can't remember the name of it, but it was Pat Robertson's college. I think it was Founders College at the time, or university. And uh, the 700 Club was, was filming there at the time, and we actually sat in on, on one of the airings or tapings of their show. Uh, but while we were there touring, we looked at the grounds, and outside there was this wall. Maybe you've seen it if you're familiar with this area. And there was sculpture of the... Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and it was done in such a way as, as with perspective, so the, the horse that was closest was larger, and it kind of created a depth of perception there. But I remember this. I took a picture of it, too. I should have brought it and put it right up on the screen, but I didn't remember that. I'm lucky I remembered my coffee today. And so what I do know is this, this sculpture made me think, you know, that that's just a vision. It's just a representation of what's going to happen. But it's made me realize there are things that are about to happen in our world that are not all that pleasant. By the way, there are things happening in our world that are certainly not pleasant. So that should be no surprise. And it's not as if the things we're going to talk about are unprecedented, but the scale of the things that we're going to talk about is unprecedented. And it's more important to understand that just about everything we're going to talk about today has happened in the past, is happening in the present, but will happen on a much larger scale in the future. And it's the beginning of a process whereby God is going to redeem the earth. So while it represents great difficulty, it is not designed to scare you. It is designed to encourage you. Now, as we read these things, you'll think, Pastor Tim, I don't know how encouraging that is. But you have to see it in light of the last study where we saw the Lamb of God redeeming the earth. So he's opening the scrolls. The seals are being broken. And as those seals are broken, bad things are happening on the earth, but good things are ultimately about to happen. So I I, I give you that so that as we open up God's word today, you'll be able to receive encouragement. I've heard the book of Revelation taught like a scary story around the fireplace, you know, or or the fire pit. And, and, you know, they get the flashlight under their, their chin, and they're like, and then God is going to destroy you. I don't know why people teach prophecy like that. I think some pastors think that if they scare you, you'll come to Jesus. Scaring somebody doesn't bring someone to Jesus. Loving someone brings them to Jesus. 
But some of the things we read in the Bible can be a little scary if you don't understand them in their context. So I'll do my best today in the few minutes that we have. Let's look at chapter 6 in the book of Revelation. And if you have your Bibles with us, uh, with, with you today, you can go to the last page and work your way back till you get to Revelation 6. It's the last book of the Bible. Uh, this is a book that most people stay away from or become overly fascinated with. But in the end, it's designed to encourage us. It is not the revelation of the devil or the Antichrist or 666. It's not the revelation of world catastrophes. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so encouraging. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. John writes, as I, I watched as the Lamb, who is Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures, these are cherubim or seraphim, around the throne of God, which we were introduced to in chapters 4 and 5. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. And its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So the first horseman of the apocalypse, when the first seal is opened on this scroll that represents the redemption of the earth, has everything to do with a leader, someone emerging on the world scene that looks to lead the world. Now, there are lots of leaders in our world today. There have been many leaders throughout the centuries. Some of them have been inspiring. Some of them have been horrific. We think of the last century, Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. We think of these individuals, we don't tend to think of them in a very positive light because they were incredibly wicked people. But isn't it interesting that when a a wicked leader appears, they always appear with a smile on their face? And try, try to get people to think, well, this is a good way to think. This is a good way to do things. We see that in our own country today. Many of our leaders and politicians dupe us into believing they really do care about us. But at the end of the day, we are in a situation where our leaders many times, and I think most of the time, are really either just serving themselves or a purpose, I want to say higher purpose, but actually it's a lower purpose, of bringing about trials on the earth. One day will come where a leader will emerge on the earth, and this is what the first horseman describes. We see here that John was called by one of the four living creatures to see what must take place after that first seal was opened. These are consecutive events that will take place in the future, and it starts with John. He sees a a white horse whose rider held a bow and was given a crown, and he's a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, in our world, even today, you can look at what's going on in Europe with Vladimir Putin, and you can try to say, oh, maybe he's that guy. You need to understand what the symbols mean, and you'll see that this is someone that has not been seen yet. Not on the earth, not yet. Will soon, perhaps, but not just yet. Understand that when Christ returns, when his return is described in this book, in Revelation 19, which we still have a ways to go to get to, he is described as returning on a white horse. So the vision of someone on a white horse brings us to this idea of Christ's return. It's a symbol, but the idea is that he comes as the conqueror and really as the savior of the whole earth. But isn't it interesting? 
very early on in this seven-year time period, someone else emerges on a white horse or is described as being on a white horse. We always imagine the hero is on the white horse, right? So think about it with me. There is going to come a time in our world where a leader will emerge who claims to be either like Christ or Christ himself and will draw people into a conflict. As opposed to being the Prince of Peace, he will be an individual who causes conflict. Now, that's not hard for us to imagine because it happens a lot in our world. But that white horse shows that this rider will attempt to imitate Christ. There's a phrase or or, or a, a word we use in the scripture, antichrist. It means someone in place of Christ. There are actually two antichrists talked about in the book of Revelation, but there have been many antichrists throughout the centuries. Those that would lead people astray on a large scale or maybe on a smaller scale. We've seen this before. But notice he has a bow. Now, a bow used for bow and arrows is of really no use unless you have arrows. Would you agree? So he has a bow, but we don't see any arrows. Maybe he has them, but some believe that the fact that he doesn't have any arrows shows that he desires to make war, but he doesn't have the ability to make war. Our nations today, clearly, many of them, including our nation, have the ability to make war. They do. And they oftentimes use that ability for not so good purposes, as we see in our world today. But there will come a leader who may not have the power, which kind of implies that he's not necessarily the leader of a country or a nation, but more of a world leader of nations, and that nations give their power and ability to make war to this man. And that's what we expect to see as you study the scriptures throughout the Old and New Testaments. We're introduced to this concept of an Antichrist, a world ruler, who will come out of Europe, who will in fact lead the world to war. But he starts by trying to make peace. Jesus said, when you hear peace, peace, beware because sudden destruction comes and it comes quickly. So this is the first horse we're introduced to, a false Christ, an antichrist. And he's also given a crown. Notice he's not necessarily born with it. He's given the crown. It shows that his authority to rule is given to him. And that seems to be a common thread with this ruler. As we look at the different scriptures in Daniel and throughout, we we realize this man is given power by the world. Now, we live in a day where we have the United Nations and NATO and various different world global organizations. It's not hard for us to imagine a group of nations coming together and designating one individual to sort of rule the world. That seems to be what will happen. Again, it hasn't happened yet. And then we understand, because the scripture tells us here in chapter 6 of Revelation, that his true motives are not to bring peace or unity, but they're rather to conquer others. To conquer others. Now, I want to bring your attention to a scripture. You can just listen, I'll read it for you. But it's in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24 in verses 4 and 5. Because it'd be one thing if the book of Revelation talked about these things, and these things were not talked about anywhere else. But they're talked about frequently, and especially by Jesus in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, and, excuse me, chapter 24, and in verse 4 and 5, it says, Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. And he goes on to say, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So the first horseman of the apocalypse represents the deception of, 
of false Christs. False leaders. We see many today, but a day will come where a world leader will emerge. Jesus predicted this, that many imposters would come and that they would deceive many people. And this has been true throughout history. It's certainly true today, but it will certainly be true of the coming world ruler referred to as an antichrist in the scriptures. Okay, let's get to the second horseman. We see in verses 3 through 4 that when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. And these horses aren't so much different individuals or different powers. They're phases or events that take place as these things begin to take place on our world, or in our world or on the earth. So now we're introduced to a red horse. We have this white horse, peace, peace, peace. But all of a sudden, since he's bent on conquest, we're now introduced to a red horse. John's called by the second of the living creatures to see what would happen on the earth when in heaven the second seal is opened. And he saw a fiery red horse. And his rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make war. It should not surprise us. We were told in the first section of this chapter that this conqueror would come like Christ but ultimately bring about conflict, and conflict follows him. The fiery red horse shows that the rider desires blood and conflict. So how would you recognize this individual? Well, the first thing you would know is that they say they want peace. And shortly after pronouncing that they want peace and unity, they bring about war. His power, the power that was given to him, was to sabotage peace and incite war. Our world is filled with war. Throughout my entire lifetime, I'm sure there's never been a moment when there wasn't some conflict on the earth. When I was born, it was Vietnam. And then after that, we had other wars in the Middle East. And even today, we have conflict throughout the earth. I mean, how long did the conflict in Afghanistan last? Nearly 20 years? So, you know, when we look at these things, it's not surprising. We shouldn't be shocked. But the difference is the scale, the sheer scale of the things that will take place as we get closer to Christ's return. He's also given a sword, and that's a symbol. What do you use a sword for? You use a sword to fight battles. And so his given sword shows that he has this ability to wage war, an ability that was given to him. Now, Jesus also, in Matthew 24, warned his disciples not to be alarmed. See, I think it's so important that you mention that because many times we study these things and everybody gets excited and all kinds of worried. And yet when Jesus talked about these things, he said, don't be alarmed. Why should we not be alarmed by being deceived and having wars? Because Jesus is in control. Amen? Because if he's allowing these things to happen, it moves towards a purpose, a higher purpose that God is bringing about in our world. So therefore, as you see these things happen, you can actually be encouraged even though these things are awful. Are you with me? That's the idea here. And that's why as I see these things begin to happen with greater frequency, and then ultimately as they happen in the last days, no one should think, oh my goodness, everything's out of control. God doesn't know what he's doing. The world is going crazy. And that's when things get substantially worse on our planet. So let me back up a minute. Things are pretty bad right now. 
They, they're not great right now. We, we agree these last two years, two or three years, have been very difficult. So if, when things get far worse, God is in control. Can I extrapolate that God is in control today, even though things are pretty bad? Amen? I mean, you go to the grocery store and you're like, is it going to be two or $300 for groceries? Used to be where we were hit about 100 And now it's like groceries are definitely like double. Gasoline, it's come down a little bit, but it's still double. Heating oil, I don't even want to talk about because Petro delivered oil to my house this last week and I was not very happy when I looked at the bill. So as I think about these things, as taxes go up, as the cost of living goes up, I think to myself, it's out of control. But no, it's not out of control. God is in control. And that's why this message is so encouraging to me, even though it talks about some awful things. Jesus predicted these things. I'm going to go back to Matthew's gospel, and I'm going to read what Jesus went on to say in that same chapter in verse 6. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So you think, oh, the end is even worse. No, the end is better. It's when Christ returns. Amen? So don't be alarmed. This isn't about freaking everybody out. I've been to many prophecy conferences and Bible studies where at the end everyone went home and started buying like freeze-dried food and, you know, building a bomb shelter in their basement. That's just ridiculous because God is in control. So what did Jesus tell us? Speaking of the same time period in the future, he predicted that many wars and armed conflicts would happen before the end would come. And of course, it's been true throughout history, but it's also true today. And it will certainly be true when that coming world ruler emerges on the earth and brings about a false peace that only turns into a greater worldwide conflict. Let's look at the third seal and the third horseman. Back in Revelation, in chapter 6, in verse 5, we read, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Now, one of the things about this vision is it's easy to remember because you got the white horse, you've got the red horse, you got the black horse. And when we get to the black horse, it says its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then John says, I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. It's interesting, he hears sort of an announcement in the background as this horse emerges, and it's not hard to interpret this. It's pretty easy to understand what's happening here. When you have conflict and a false peace and wars, you're going to have famine. One naturally follows the other. Now, I, I have recently spoken to people, even at the Trader Joe's, um, who work there, and, and kind of communicated to me that they've never seen a lack of stock and supply like this before. And again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, like you're all going to run out and go to Costco or something and buy enough paper towels for the next millennium. I'm just making the point that, you know, I talk to these people who actually do this for a living, and they're saying, you know, there's things we just can't get anymore, and they disappear almost immediately from the shelf. We've all been to the store and not been able to find things. Uh, the most distressing of all, of course, was when baby formula was not available. And I, I think it's still pretty bad. It's just the media is not going to report on it because it'll make the people in power look bad. So what's sad 
is that we're already experiencing supply chain issues. There are many people, because of the cost of things in this world, are finding it hard to feed their families and heat their homes and put gas in their cars. We're already there, but we've got something worse to look forward to, in the world at least, because what we're experiencing now is a blip by comparison. After this great war, look, look at what's going on in Ukraine. You have war. Now, that's not, it's talking about that kind of thing, but that's not what we're talking about in the scripture today. But just, just take that as an example. You have war, right? And then what do you have? Famine. You have people who can't heat their homes, if they have homes at all. So it, it logically uh, follows a war. Famine, disease. If you look at the history of the war in Europe, the last world war, uh, the, the entire continent pretty much had to be rebuilt. And people suffered greatly in the post-war because things, infrastructure is destroyed, right? Because food doesn't, is not available. So it, this all makes sense. And some would look at this and say, yeah, sure, we've experienced this over and over again. Of course we have. It's a natural process or what you would expect to happen when these things happen on the earth. But what we learn here is that John is told what will take place after the third seal is opened. When that happens, he sees a black horse whose rider holds a pair of scales. And the black horse shows that the rider desires to bring famine and death, which is what happens even after an armed conflict. The pair of scales shows his ability to create famine and to measure food. That's what you use a scale for or did at that time. Still do. If you go to buy produce, you use a scale. So John heard a voice among the four living creatures, and it announced a severe famine and the need for rationing. Now, there are some people here old enough to know what that means. Maybe some who were close to having lived through the Depression or possibly uh, World War II, and you know that rationing is what happens when there's a lack of things. Or maybe some of you went through the, uh, the uh, pandemic and you tried to get toilet paper. Do you remember when you could only buy just like a roll or two? Remember that? Everybody freaked out. Of all the things we were worried about, it was toilet paper. And that happened like immediately. I just, I wonder who started that. There was a day when it's like, oh my goodness, there's a killer virus. I better get toilet paper. It was crazy, right? I just happened to have had a, there was a sale at the shop, right? Like a couple weeks before uh, the pandemic started. And uh, or when we became aware of it, and I just happened to say, ah, it's on sale, I'll buy it. I had enough toilet paper to get through two years. You know, I had all this toilet paper in the basement. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. And I just had happened to buy uh, some N95 masks for a construction project. So I was like, God, this is good. Then I find out that we didn't really need all that toilet paper and masks didn't work anyway. But that's another Bible study. Just to lighten the mood, <laughs> as if you can. Rationing is something that happens when there's not enough of something. One thing I know that there's not enough of in this world is kindness. There's not enough civility. But when there's not enough food, kindness and civility go out the window. And sadly, what John sees as this third seal is opened is that there's a severe famine. It's described in this way, and you look at the, the amount that people have to spend a quart of wheat, which is, just imagine a quart of milk and then put wheat in it. That's not a lot of wheat. Imagine having to work a whole day for that. And then barley, three quarts of barley, which, you know, isn't as preferable as wheat, but is still edible. 
that's going to take three quarts of that is a day's wages. So I don't know how many of our $100 or $1,000 you earn a day. Imagine that that's what you're going to have to pay just to eat. So what does that mean? Each day you're going to work just to survive. That, that's essentially what we're being told. A day's wage gets you through a day. In the ancient world, people worked for a day and they used the money they made and they got paid that day and they went and they bought their food and they ate. It was kind of a hand to mouth. They really didn't understand. And many people today are living like that, paycheck to paycheck. They put everything on credit, and then when the paycheck comes in, they try to pay it off. But this is going to be far worse than that, and that's what we're told here by John. Interesting, and I think this is the most interesting thing about famines to me, isn't it interesting that when there are supply chain issues or a famine, that the luxuries of life never seem to stop, and there's always people that can afford to pay for them, right? Do you think that they sold any less Mercedes or BMWs during the pandemic? I don't, I don't think so. It was amazing to me. You still see people driving around in Porsches and Lamborghinis. So what's that all about? Well, let me suggest this to you. The fact that the voice said the oil and wine will remain untouched by the people that are starving to death. What does that mean? I can tell you from firsthand experience three times in Cuba over the last 20 years, when I've gone there, it's amazing. There are all of the things you could want for the rich. In Russia, they talk about socialism. Everybody's going to have a fair share, right? But why is it that certain people have everything and others have nothing? I think it was Pastor Joe told me he was speaking to a, an older gentleman in Cuba who had lived through the revolution and all that had taken place in the late 50s when Castro came into power. He said, yeah, Castro told us that we were all going to be equal, and we are. We're all equally poor. So sometimes famines are used. I know this is going to be a shocker. You can't trust the government, right? That's a shock to some of us. Sometimes famines are used to control people. And that's the saddest thing of all, that they would use food, which people need, food and drink, to control their lives. We can expect this because it's happened in the past. The famine that we're talking about here appears to be orchestrated by those in power. So Jesus warned his disciples of this as well in Matthew 24, verse 7, not to be alarmed by famines and even earthquakes in various places. I'll read for you what he said in the latter part of that verse where we left off. Jesus, speaking of the same time period, said, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So there will be famines. Jesus made that clear. In the last days before his coming, he's telling his disciples there will be famine. Of course there will be because there'll be war, there'll be deception, there'll be all of that. There's a common theme here. Don't put your trust in the world. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. So he predicted famines and earthquakes would happen in various places before the end would come. Now, again, this has been true throughout history. No surprise there. Certainly true today but it will certainly be true during the time that this world leader emerges on our planet. This is what we have to, quote-unquote, look forward to. But remember, these things are working towards an end. And when that end comes, everything will be set right. You know what I look forward to? True justice. Can I hear an amen? amen. Someone commits a crime, they actually get punished for it. No repeat offenders. No lack of bail. True justice. And people can't lie because God sees and knows all things. So when they do the wrong thing, there'll be no question. You won't need a jury to determine whether they're guilty or not. 
I have no problem living in a society where criminals are punished severely. You know, there are places in the world, I think of Singapore, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, the UAE. There are certain places in the world where the the quality of life is extremely high. The freedom is low. (laughs) The personal freedom doesn't exist, but the quality of life is very high. Why? Because if you get caught dealing drugs or doing something wrong or stealing, you disappear. Do I want to live in a world like that? No, I don't. But I don't want to live in a country like this with crime being rampant and things out of control either. Somewhere in between no freedom and too much freedom is this balance that we've seemed to have lost such that you can't even really safely go out at night in some places within the area. Now, listen, why am I saying these things? Because, listen, these things will happen in the future. They're already starting to happen in the world in which we live today. But don't be alarmed Draw closer to God. Amen? So now we get to the fourth and the last seal. Jesus told us these things would happen. And we read in verses 7 and 8 of the book of Revelation in chapter 6, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. And its rider was named Death and Hades. That is the place of the dead was following close behind him. They, that is death and Hades, were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So that is maybe not the most encouraging message that you wanted to hear today in some ways, but it's also an important message because there has to come a point on our, in our world and on the earth where justice takes place. We can't just allow these wicked, evil people to continue to do their wickedness and their corruption. God is not going to allow that. This is what gives me hope that one day these individuals, whether they get caught in this world or not, are going to be held accountable. I'm okay with that. I think most of us cry out for justice and we say, when are some of these people going to finally go to jail? Well, there will come a day when judgment will come. And this is a part of that ultimately culminating in the Lord's return when he'll set things right and you'll be able to ride on the subway again. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what the scripture is telling us. As John is called by the fourth living creature to see the fourth seal open, he sees a pale horse. The rider is death, and it makes sense that death would follow all of the things we've discussed, war, famine, all of the things we've discussed. Of course, death is the result of those things. And he's followed closely by Hades, which represents the place of the dead, where people go when they die, unless you're in Christ. Amen? This pale, corpse-like horse shows that the rider desires to bring death. Its rider's name is death. His partner's Hades. They will have power over life itself. People will die on a level that we've never seen before. And we've seen within our lifetimes, we've seen death in our world. So imagine how terribly awful this will be. You know, I look at this and I could be alarmed, but Jesus told me not to be. So I'm not going to be alarmed, but I have great concerns. This is not something that I think we, we long to see, but it's something that will happen. Death. You know, our, our world is obsessed with the oceans rising like an eighth of an inch over the last couple of, uh, next couple of decades. They're obsessed thinking that somehow that's going to be the end of the world. I don't really think that's what we're going to see. I think what we're going to see is far worse. We've talked about it already. Deception, wars, famine. 
And you're not going to be worried about climate change when these things are happening. And by the way, as far as climate change is concerned, wait till we get to future chapters and we actually talk about real climate change. But you'll have to come back for that. We don't have time for that today. You know, the power that death in Hades are given is to kill a fourth of the world's population. I want you to take that in. It's billions of people. That's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not encouraged by it, but I'm encouraged in it because I know God is in control, even in this type of event. War, famine, pestilence kills many people. And wild animals will be driven by hunger to kill many people. Now, I read an article, and I don't know whether this is true or not, if this is the correct interpretation. But the language, when it talks about wild animals, we we think about lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. That's what we think of, right? But did you know that viruses are actually living creatures? They're not the same as bacteria. They're they're, they're more, more, more living or more alive in that sense. And here's the thing. Viruses can be described by the Greek word for wild animals, wild creatures, things that are alive that can harm us. Now, I'm not saying you can interpret it this way, but isn't it interesting? Viruses may also be considered wild beasts by definition in the original language. It's interpreted wild beasts, but listen, viruses kill. And isn't it something that over the last decade, even decade, not even just the last few years, we've seen more and more of these viruses unleashed on our earth? I'm not saying we're in that time period, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's the kind of thing we see in the last days. And, and could it be that, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, I'm just saying, look at this. I mean, all of these things, war, famine, pestilence, these things are happening today. Viruses are certainly caught up in pestilence, but wouldn't it be something if a fourth of the world passed into eternity because of these things, and especially because of pandemics? Now, we know something about that. The only thing worse than the pandemic was the fear of the pandemic. But here's the thing, we don't need to be alarmed. We don't need to be afraid. You know, I was never really afraid during that time period because I knew God is in control, and if he wants me here, I'll be here. Some of you got freaked out. I understand that. Some of you are still a little freaked out. I respect that. But we're still here because God has chosen for us to still be here, so don't be alarmed. Even viruses are under God's control. Oh, but Pastor Tim, I lost somebody. Yeah, we all know people that died from the virus, but I knew people that died before the virus. So life is filled with death, which is unfortunate but true. And I don't mean to be insensitive. But Jesus described these predicted events as the beginning of birth pains or contractions, like a woman going into labor. And it's interesting that he would use that phrase, birth pains or contractions, because generally a woman going into labor doesn't go into full labor for some time, but there may be contractions leading up to full labor, hard labor. There may be these moments, these momentary contractions, but the the end isn't yet. The, The birth of that child isn't yet. But it's an indication that it's on its way. Can I say this? I think what we're experiencing in our world right now and have been for some time are those beginnings of the birth pangs, but not the hard labor. We haven't gotten there yet, but when we do, it will be obvious, and that's the language that Jesus uses in, back again in Matthew 24, verse 8, talking about this time period. In Matthew 24, verse 8, he said, all these are the beginning of contractions, the beginning of birth pains. So what we're going to see in the last days is is the full-on labor, but I think we're already seeing indications that those things are on their way. So he predicted these events would increase in frequency 
and severity before the end would come. So when you see an earthquake and you say, oh, that's it, the end of the world, they're not exactly true. If you were to see one every week, you might say, yeah, probably, right? Or the severity of those earthquakes. Okay, this has been true throughout history, and some critics and skeptics would say, well, you talk about famines and wars and earthquakes and all of this, but we've seen this all along. It's true, we have. But the severity that will come upon the earth is called the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. This is going to be true during that time period. And by the way, one thing to mention, and we'll talk more about this in later studies, Israel seems to be unaffected by these four horsemen of the apocalypse. But the rest of the world begins to suffer greatly. And all of these events will take place within that first three and a half years of what will be a seven-year time period. So what does this mean for us today? That's the more important question. Well, it means God is real and he has a plan for this earth. And that plan does not just include salvation. It includes redemption of the earth. And during the redemptive process of the earth, the earth and the people on it will suffer the way that he suffered for our sins. So where does that leave you? Do you know Christ? If you know Christ, you know that no matter what happens, you'll be fine. Even if you lose your life in something like this, you know that eternity awaits and God's blessings for you in eternity. But if you don't know Christ or you're unsure about what would happen if you died, which I I, I pray you don't. I don't want anyone to die. But people do. In fact, the statistics are in. 100% of all people die eventually. So what does that mean for you? Well, you know, that means that you have an opportunity, as I ask the worship team to come up, you have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spare you from an eternity of suffering. You may go through suffering in this world. We often do. Most of us have. But where does it end? What happens to you after you die? We've seen in previous studies that there is a heaven, a glorious rejoicing in heaven around Jesus and the throne of God that you can be a part of, that you've been invited to be a part of, and you need only respond in the affirmative by saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my God. I want to give my life to you. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by the things I've done and left undone. I have sinned. My sin is ever before me. I've made mistakes, and I continue to do so, but I want to be forgiven, and I want a relationship with God. And so that's why you don't need to be alarmed if you're in Christ. But let me say this. If you're not in Christ, you probably should be alarmed, not just by the things we talked about that will happen in the future, but the things that are already happening in our world and the things that will happen in any life if you live long enough. So let's pray, and if you really feel that this will be a good time for you personally, I'm not going to make anybody stand up or grandstand, but if you feel that this would be a good time for you to cry out to God and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to know that no matter what happens, you don't have to be alarmed, you can be at peace, then pray with me. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. These things are powerful images, and and, and, and they do give us some concern. But Lord, may we cry out to you. Those of us who've known you, may we cry out to you to serve you with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And those of us who are unsure, maybe we really don't know what might happen if tomorrow we suffered in this way or we were no longer on this earth and we had to stand before your throne. I pray for every heart here, I pray, 
they would be convinced and convicted by your scripture to cry out to you, to give their hearts to you. Because you did die on the cross for our sins and you did rise from the dead. You rose from the dead and you desire to give us that eternal life. You send it into heaven where you ever live at the throne of God, the right hand of the throne of God, to make intercession on our behalf. And you are coming again. And the things we talked about today lead us to that moment where you return to the earth. May we be ready. May we be prepared. And we might give you glory for all eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.